0: Alright, so if you don't know me already, I'm Quinn, I'm the band leader, Nice I meet you guys? Um, introduce yourself to me if you don't know me or something after this. Um, you read the scripture that we have that Josiah's going to be talking about tonight. Uh, it comes from James, uh, it's chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they come from your desires that battle with you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill you covet, but you cannot have what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enemies against God? Therefore, anyone you choose Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to bullet in us? But he gives us more grace. This is what scripture says. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you Who are you to judge your neighbor?
1: So when I printed that out for Quinn off Bible Gateway, I totally cut off like the last eighth of the page. And so he was doing the best he could to figure out what words would be there if I printed it in the correct dimensions. So let's all give Quinn a round of applause for his band leadership. And doing such a good job of reading that. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. Um, yeah, so this is funny. A lot of students often ask me this question, and so some of you probably already know this, but I figured why not clarify it because a lot of you don't. So I actually work here at the church full time. I'm not a student, and Pause. Uh, <laughs> oh, not, not as uh, obvious as I thought, I guess. I mean, you saying I'm old? Uh-huh. I am old so uh i'm not a student i'm actually a full-time employee here at the church but i do take classes part-time i take one class a semester in seminary uh, bible church history theology stuff like that and uh, i want to tell you a story about last fall i was up in grand rapids michigan taking a class and so i was up there and uh, i was up there for a week and i had a friend's wedding that was in boston after this but plane tickets out of Grand Rapids were super expensive, and so I was like, oh. I'm pretty stingy, I have to be honest. I didn't want to fly out of Grand Rapids, but it was a 14-hour drive through Canada to get to Boston most directly, and I'm nervous about Canadians, so I wasn't gonna do that. Um, I hope there's a Canadian in here. Um, so, here's what I decided to do. I Googled like all of the cities close to Grand Rapids, and did what anyone who's logical would do. I drove to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania from Grand Rapids at like 9 at night and got in super late. My family lives in Pittsburgh and so I flew out of Pittsburgh. And so I went to this wedding in Boston and uh, this was just not an easy trip logistically. Like I had to drive from Boston into the mountains of New Hampshire and was at this wedding and like we didn't have cell service. And I slept in this cabin that wasn't heated. It was like 50 degrees. Um, It was supposed to be really cool, but it wasn't that fun. Um, Shoot, I hope my friend doesn't listen to this message. Chris, it was great. I loved your wedding. But uh, I was really relieved when I got my rental car back to the Boston airport because I get nervous about driving in cities. I don't know, is anyone else like that? Like, I just get kind of nervous driving in cities that I'm not familiar with. And so I was really proud. I navigated my way through Boston. And so I'm taking my rental car into the airport. Um, I'm in line to drop the car off just feeling like this burden off my shoulders. And that's when, at about one and a half miles per hour, I crashed in front of the car, in front of me, in the return, in the return line um, of my rental car. And you are all gonna hate me when I say this, and I'm not even kidding, it's because I was texting. Um, yes, I wrecked my rental car because I was texting and driving. Um, and I'm really thankful to say that my car wasn't Dented, and the guy in front of me, uh, he, I didn't tell him why I didn't do it. Um, he was very gracious and he was like, he wanted to get out of there just as bad as I did. So he was like, yep, it's good. No worries. We didn't report it. Man, haven't thought about it again. <laughs> Until I told my wife two days ago, Brittany, I want to tell the story of Connection, so I better tell you first.
0: <laughs> Don't tell your
1: wife something in, in the midst of 80 people for the first time. Um, and so what is, really, um, what is really frustrating to me about that story is I had heard the warning like at least 40 times. I would seen it in writing that many times um, before I paid the price for texting and driving. Um, yet until the reality of what can happen when you text and drive hit home to me, I didn't pay attention to the warnings. Um, And uh, Brittany and I have made a pact. We no longer text and drive, or check emails and drive, just phone calls. I know in some states that's illegal, but here in Indiana, it's free. And so uh, I'm gonna phone call and drive, but no texting or emailing. And I encourage you to do the same. But that's not the point of my sermon. The reason I tell that story is this. Um, We're talking about pride tonight, and props to you for showing up. Because pride is not one of those sermon topics where people are like, oh man, I can't wait to hear about that. Um, let's talk about, like, God's vision and my dreams. Um, those are the kind of things we get excited about, but pride, this is, uh, this is something that is just, um, kind of messy to deal with. Scripture gives us these really clear warnings about pride, um, and kind of the damage it can do to our lives. Listen to these two verses. These are both from Proverbs. First, uh, 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, um, Proverbs, and haughty means arrogant, an arrogant spirit before a fall. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for them. Uh, So these are really serious warnings, aren't they? Uh, Pride goes before destruction. But I don't know if you're like me, I don't always feel this sense of urgency about uh, turning away from the sin of pride in my life. It's one of those things where I kind of feel like, yeah, like, that's gonna disappear in time. I'll get to it when I get to it. And uh, when we struggle with things kind of like substance abuse or sexual immorality or maybe serious anger issues, we see Christians struggling with these things and uh, we can readily admit the way that they're destroying us and recognize our need to turn away from them. But when it comes to pride, we can kind of tell ourselves, this really isn't that big of a deal. Uh, But scripture is clear that pride is just something that absolutely destroys us. It damages our relationships, and it really hurts our ability to fully live in light of God's grace. And uh, I have to tell you, this is something that's important to me to speak to you about because I have seen, um, I have seen pride really just destroy some of my friendships um, because of my arrogance. And uh, I have seen, um, yeah, just the devastating effects of pride in my own life. And I'm thankful that God has grown me in this, but it's been really painful, and I would sure love to spare some of you that pain. Um, there's a school of hard knocks that you can learn the lesson of pride in, um, but there's also a school of wisdom that we can learn from, and that's where I really want to spend some time tonight. And uh, So first, I just want to look at some kind of a brief synopsis from these two proverbs that we just looked at that give us some real insight on what pride looks like, kind of how it manifests itself. So. Pride is about having a haughty spirit, an arrogant spirit of superiority um, that kind of puts ourselves at the center of it. Um, We find ourselves as the authority over not just our lives, but over lives as others as we establish these rules that we um, may not even verbalize about what it looks like to really be a righteous person. Um, I love it how that verse says, says this, pride is about being wise in our own eyes. Uh, We create the standards, and we hold others to judgment under them, um, and when they fail to measure up to them, we pronounce judgment over them, even if they don't even know the standards that we're measuring them with. Um, And this just absolutely leads to destruction. It destroys us from the inside out. It cripples us. It condemns us. As we put ourselves in this position, we're never meant to hold. Um, We can be prideful in our words. We can be prideful in our actions. Uh, We can be prideful in our spirits. And... We just have to recognize that this call uh, to turn away from the sin of pride is just uh, something that can allow us to experience great freedom in Christ. Um, And even knowing that, this is still really tricky. And it's so tricky because pride is absolutely deceptive, isn't it? Uh, We can be totally blind to pride and its presence in our hearts and in our attitudes. Here's a verse that summarizes that really well. Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Um, But here's what stinks even more. While we can be blind to our own pride, others may see it in us very clearly. Uh, Jesus sums this up in the Sermon on the Mount in this statement. Why do you say to your brother, let me take the dust out of your own eye? And all the time you have that stick in your own eye. We can really notice others flaws but be totally blind to our own as a result of our pride. Uh, One reason we often don't notice this pride in our lives is because we really think it's well-founded. We don't recognize it as pride, we really um, are proud of ourselves and how good we are and how consistently we uphold our rules that we've established for ourselves. Um, Maybe it's responsibility, maybe it's um, ethical consistency. Uh, just consistent moral behavior, Uh, we can establish these rules, hold ourselves accountable to them, and hold others accountable to them, and really um, find ourselves being judgmental and arrogant when they don't measure up to the standards. But what makes this even more difficult is we know that we don't measure up to our own standards all the time. So not only are we damaging our relationship with others, but we're mad at ourselves when we screw up at achieving our own standards of righteousness. This is a vicious cycle. Pride absolutely destroys us. Uh, We take these good things, like right belief, um, moral behavior, and just consistent ethics and personal responsibility, and become the arbitrators over lives. Um, And this totally uh, leads to us becoming judgmental and arrogant um, when that is something we would absolutely never want to be. We may not even be aware of the judgmental and arrogant attitudes that we have, just as a result of the pride in our lives. And this is something that I can totally recognize myself having done, and I know that it's something that I still do more than I, uh, by God's grace, would love to see myself overcome doing this. Isn't it a lot easier to forgive people of sins when we struggle with those sins ourselves? Um, But when we see people struggling with sins that we don't really identify with, it's like really easy to look down on them. Um, Man, I sure can have an easy time forgiving some sins. But then there are other ones where there's a real stigma attached to that, and I don't know how you could really call yourself a Christian and struggle with that. Uh, That is pride. That's pride. Uh, The verse that Quinn read earlier for us, so masterfully, uh, it really gives us some wisdom on how those who trust Christ in faith can deal with their sin of pride. Uh, So to set a little bit of context for this, the book of James is written to believers um, all throughout Asia Minor who are struggling to live out their lives of faith well as they find themselves caught up in the things of this world, uh, fractioned and contentious with each other as a result of religious pride despite their shared Christian faith. Uh, So this is some really helpful insight to believers, but I think we're gonna see that it really applies to those who aren't of Christian faith as well. So the passage we read earlier, James is really clear with them that despite the mess that they are, God loves them so intensely that when he sees their hearts straying, his love is envious for them. He wants them to experience his love and grace so much that he pours out his spirit, bringing his will to fruition in their lives, even when their hearts may not be in a place that they seek it for themselves. Uh, This is really powerful. Uh, He expresses it like this in James 4.6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, how is that a statement of love? Um, man, experiencing love in this way can be incredibly painful. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, when I was kind of preparing for this, I was reading through a commentary on this passage, and they kind of were looking through the original language that this was written in, the original Greek, and the author told uh I learned from the author that the word oppose can be more literally translated to mean to rage in battle against. Uh, That is strong. Uh, So James 4, 6 could read, God is in battle against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what we see here in James is that God wants followers of Christ to experience the fullness of his grace so much that he will literally battle against the pride in our lives until we turn to him a person may well be saved through faith in christ but as long as their pride and self remains there's going to be a degree to which that person is not fully able to experience his grace um, this process is painful but it's something that we need to experience And hebrews twelve six summarizes it really well uh, god disciplines those he loves you've heard that before and this is totally what happens uh, god battles against our pride making us humble so we can experience his grace when we trust in Christ. And uh, man, that is the school of hard knocks way to learn to trust God and grow in humility rather than be um, okay with our pride and allowing that to be something that dominates um, our lives and our relationships. But this passage in James also gives us uh, this path to wisdom to guide us how to grow in humility in such a way that we can better live as followers of Christ in our relationships and enjoy relationship with God more. Um, James instructs these people to repent of their sin and recognize their pride uh, for this backstabbing kind of community-destroying and witness-ruining sin that it is. Uh, That's what pride does. Um, The solution isn't to just will our way out of pride and try really hard to make ourselves humble people. The solution is to admit our pride and our error and our need. Um, We've strayed from trusting Christ alone for justification um, as a result of our pride because it just shows that our hearts are looking to something other than Christ um, for our meaning, our righteousness, what makes us okay with God and what gives us unity as a people of God together. Um, and so humility, this opposite to pride, the contrast is about admitting our error and our need and turning back to Christ um, as the basis of our relationship with God and the basis of our relationship with each other. James says it this way, Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And this is... a. Uh, This principle is really at the core of what Christian faith is all about. Um, In Jesus' Sermon of the Mount that I referenced earlier, uh, there's a series of statements called the Beatitudes that Jesus uses to talk about what the kingdom of God is like. And he says in the first Beatitude, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is the same principle. The principle is this. If you want to live in the fullness of God's grace for you in Christ... You need to recognize your complete bankruptcy without God. Have you humbled yourself before God? Have you admitted your need for Him? Um, This is a question that we often ask ourselves when we first come to Christ. But sometimes as those who are walking down the road of faith, um, we can forget that that's who we are. um, That we are a people who has admitted our need um, and our complete bankruptcy apart from God's grace. And uh, when we stray from remembering that, that's when pride in our hearts can really develop. And so we're called to humble ourselves in light of the Lord, and he will lift us up. Um, So when it comes to thinking about pride, um, all of our pride is destroyed as we continually look to Christ alone as the basis of our righteousness. Um, And that's something that we have to do continually. Um, None of us have anything to boast in other than the cross. All that we are... And all that we have is a result of who God has made us in Christ. Ephesians two says it this way: We were all by nature deserving of wrath, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And uh, there's a pastor I really like to read. His name is Jack Miller, and he says it this way. Um, I like his cynic- not cynicism. I like his uh, satirical way of writing. Uh, He says it this way, Cheer up, you're a lot worse off than you think you are. Mm -hmm. But in Jesus, you're far more loved than you ever could have imagined. Uh, That's beautiful truth. Um, We're a lot worse off than we think we are, but in Jesus, we're far more loved than we ever could have imagined. There's no point in your life where you progress past your need for God's grace. And this gospel is the foundation of the entire Christian life. It's not something that we ever move past um, to use some fancy theological terms, not only is our justification, um, this concept of our basis for a right relationship with God, that's what justification is about. Not only is that all about God's grace, but so is our sanctification, which means our growth in godliness as God's people. Um, so not only is the way in which we come to relationship with God about his grace, but the way in which we grow as his people into his likeness is about continually remembering what he's done for us in Christ. And looking by the gift of his spirit to work inside of us and change us to become more like him, all because of his grace. And so as we seek to grow in humility and see this pride in us diminish, um, we must keep our eyes on Christ alone and continually admit that spiritual rank bankruptcy um, that is who we are without Christ. Uh, that's the secret sauce for humility, guys. Uh, preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. Uh, so... So think about this whole process of growing in humility. Uh, I have to tell you, there's no one I've ever met who really desired to grow in humility, who has ever expressed a satisfaction with where they were at in that quest. Um, It's kind of like asking God to grow you in patience. That can be a really dangerous prayer to pray because oftentimes the way God will do that can be through a really tough process. Um, Growing in humility can be a difficult process, um, and we can often feel like we're not really moving in the right direction. Because the more that we want to move in that direction, the more acutely we aware, the more acutely aware we become of our sin inside of us. Um, we repent of that sin, but we become more and more aware of it. So, to an outsider, maybe you look like you're just getting better and better. Um, to you, you're like, "Wow, I am an absolute mess. I am so much more aware of my pride." Maybe God's answering your prayers. <laughs> um, and the fact that you're experiencing that. Uh, So this is really tough, Um, but I wanna encourage you with this. Um, Humility isn't supposed, it's not a destination that we arrive at, it's a process that we're called to walk in um, with God alongside of us. Um, So maybe you're feeling like, wow, I am super prideful, and you're right, Um, we all are, we struggle with this, But by God's grace, where you are now is not where you're always going to be. And we can see major victory. We can see major victory in this. And I'm really thankful for the way God has um, humbled me. It's been really painful. Um, I wish I didn't struggle with the pride that I do to the same degree now, but I'm sure he will continually humble me. Um, Sometimes through the school of hard knocks, but I sure hope that he can grow me in wisdom and spare me some of that pain. Um, And so as a people... Uh, let's pray that God would make us humble, uh, that we might love each other better, um, and that we might be a better witness to the world of our unity in Christ, and um, convey accurately who God is. Um, this can be really tough, but God is with us in the process. And maybe you all have heard of this hymn. There's a hymn called Amazing Grace. John Newton is the man who wrote that. Um, he wrote this hymn back in the 1770s. Called I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow. And I just love the way this hymn sums up this concept of growing in humility. So, listen to the lyrics of this song. He says, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and see more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request, and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart, and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand he seemed, intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds, and laid me low. I don't know what a gourd is, but that does not sound good. Um, (laughs) lord why is this i trembled crying willst thou pursue thy worm to death this in tis in this way the lord replied i answer prayer for grace and faith these inward trials i employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me Um, how powerful is that Um, in the midst of our sin god meets us with grace by opposing that which would lead to death within us. Um, God is gracious in doing that, that we might find our all in him. Um, So be bold. This takes some boldness. It takes some courage to ask the Lord to grow you in humility. Um, It's going to sting. Expect that. But God will grow you in it. He will grow you through it in relationship with him um, and in your ability to love others and to witness to the world who he is. Um, and that is my prayer for you, that you would grow you in with humility, um, what freedom there is in admitting your smallness and your absolute need. Um, that sure humbles us before ourselves, and uh, this is truth that we need to remember every day. Uh, let's pray together. God, um, we thank you for your word that you convict us of our sin, um, that manif- manifests itself in the form of pride. Um, Lord, pride leads us to destruction, but... Um, Humility is recognizing our need for you and our complete bankruptcy without you. Um, You humble us, God, as we recognize that there is nothing in ourselves that we can boast about other than the work of Christ on our behalf um, and the newness of life that you give us and your spirit at work inside of us that we might live in such a way that honors you and serves this world. And, uh, Lord, I pray that as we experience these inward trials um, that you might send our way to... Set us free from self and pride. um, That you would break our schemes of earthly joy. The things that we look to other than you to give us meaning, to give us hope. The sense of righteousness that you would lay us, um, you would humble us. That we would lay them down and find our all in you. And uh, we trust that you are faithful and able to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.